So why does the God of the Old Testament look so different than Jesus and who Jesus says God is in the New Testament? Should we look at the Old Testament differently? Should we throw out these Hebrew scriptures altogether? We're going to talk about those topics today in part two of our conversation with pastor, author, deconstructionist Keith Giles. He's a theologian, and he has a great view of how we look at the Bible today. Also, don't forget, if you would like to help us continue to provide free content like these podcasts, our Sunday community, our TikTok lives, our Bible talks, you can help underwrite what we do by subscribing at our website, pastor-paul.com. Would you go to the website and just check it out, see the resources, and think about if your budget will allow as little as $5.99 a month, which will help somewhere up to $100 a month. That could really help. And there's cool little perks that go along with your subscription. I would sure appreciate it if you would check it out. Love to you all. Now, part two of our great conversation with Keith Giles on this edition of the Post-Evangelical Podcast. Yeah, that's. Uh, let me jump in and ask that because I, you know, Jesus quoted the Old Testament, yes, so he must have seen value in it. So how do you, how do we deal with the Old Testament today, and is it worth is it worth reading? I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it is to the degree that we allow it to point us to Christ, right? And Jesus says this too, right? He, he tells the Pharisees, "You search the Scriptures because you think that in the Scriptures you have eternal life, but you refuse to come to me." and have life. These scriptures point to me. Um, Brian Zahn has a wonderful quote about that where he says, you know, what the scriptures do inerrantly and infallibly is point us to Christ. And as they do that, they're they're wonderful, they're helpful, they're useful. And so we do see um, places in the Old Testament that do show us and point us to Christ. And for that, they're invaluable. We definitely need those. I think in other places, if we are learning how to read the scriptures through the lens of Christ, which is what Paul encourages us to do. And we have to learn how to do that. That's not automatic. We have to, again, we have to start with Jesus. We abide in him and as he abides in us and we've experienced this transformation through Christ, now we can learn how to read scripture. And we're going to come across certain things in the Old Testament that we're like, ah, there it is. That's beautiful. I see Christ mm -hmm. right there. That's awesome. Right. But we're going to come across other things as we read through the lens of Christ, and we're going to read it and go, uh, no, I don't think Jesus is the one telling these guys to go across the river and slaughter men and women and children and split open pregnant bellies and not to show mercy. You better not show any mercy. You better kill them all. Like, uh, no, I don't hear Jesus saying that. And so then you give yourself permission to say, well, then guess what? That wasn't God. <laughs> because yeah. uh, it doesn't look like Jesus. It's not the Father. So um, again, this is a, it's a, it's a way we have to shift, but I think I think we're encouraged many times over and over again in the New Testament by Jesus and by Paul and by other New Testament authors. We're encouraged to do exactly that, to read the scriptures through the lens of Christ. And if you do that, if you can know how to do that, um, it's going to make you have a lot less confusion. A lot things going to make a lot more sense to you uh, because you're going to start with Jesus. Yeah, I it's. I, you know, I love uh, somebody gave me the the statement years ago that the Bible is inspired, not inerrant. Like it's a yes, it's a really amazing book. It is it is mystically preserved and worthy yes. of of note, maybe 
higher than C.S. Lewis writing, you know, or something like that. Um, and so, and some of my Jewish friends sometimes say, hey, a lot of your language is anti-Semitic, you know, and how you handle it. So I, I'm always trying to balance those things out a little bit. Yeah. And I, I think what I, so kind of how I approach the Old Testament, it, just as you say, I want to see it through the eyes of Jesus. And so some of that I do see God in walking in partnership with humanity and humanity is like, we want the law. We, yeah. we want the law like our neighbors have the law and God going, okay, bad idea, but yeah, if that's what you want, that's how we're going to be in relationship. And yeah. and so when we see things like the genocide of other people, that is God walking along with a culture of people who are making choices that aren't commanded by God, that are right. choice. And maybe even the writer is like, yeah, but we'll blame God for it. You know, um, yeah, exactly. we'll, we'll put it on God. And so I think I, I think we can read that. And, and then ultimately what I think we see in the New Testament is, just like our own Christianity today, beautiful teachings have now been taken and are used to put onerous bondage onto people and That's to condemn right. gay yes. people or, or women who are women, yeah. making choices about abortion or other things. Yes. Whereas Jesus would say, love one another and work those things out in relationship. So I guess that's that's kind of how I've learned to look at the whole of the Bible. Just like you say, give me this Jesus filter and I'll read it all through that. Yeah, yeah. No, Paul, that's beautiful. I totally agree with that. And then so let me let me talk a little bit quickly about inspiration, too. That I think I think we have to have a shift in the way we define and understand inspiration. Right. So unfortunately, yeah, we we have allowed people to convince us that to say the Bible is inspired means um, it's inerrant and infallible. OK, so. So I, I use this I use this illustration a lot, but it's based on the real experience I've had, and and hopefully people can relate to it. Um, this is this is to explain what I mean when I say something is inspired. So you know, let's say I'm riding in my car, and again, this really happened to me. So I'm riding in my car, <clears throat> and I'm listening to the radio, and I'm not not even Christian radio, just like you know a pop station, and a song comes on, and in that moment, just sitting and driving alone in the car and listening to the words of that song. It's just like the spirit of God falls on me. Oh, my gosh, I'm like crying. It's like this beautiful truth is touching me and helping me and insp inspiring me. Right. And healing me. And I'm like, oh, thank you, God. This is so beautiful. Thank you, God. Right. And I have tears in my eyes. And I just oh, this is just a beautiful moment. Right. And then so I'm driving and I get to your house. And when I get to your house. You're like, Keith, are you OK? Are you tears in your eyes? I'm like, oh, Paul, man, I tell you what happened driving in the car, the song comes on. Oh my gosh. It was just like God opened the heavens and spoke right through the, the lyrics of this song, this beautiful thing I was praying about or needed, had a question about it, just affirmed something in me and, and helped me and healed me and set me free from something. And oh, it was just awesome. And if your response is, okay, Keith, but did God write that song? Yeah. No, that was Alanis Morissette. Oh, but is that song inerrant and infallible? What are you talking about? That's the wrong question to ask. It's not that songs are not inerrant or infallible. What I'm saying is the creator of the universe used this vehicle, this means through the song to communicate something to me in that moment that was real and true and profound and from the heart of God to my own heart. That's inspiration. Yeah. And inspiration then uh, with that definition, I think that is the definition of inspiration. Then guess what? I, I have I have received the inspired word of God from a friend uh, at Starbucks across the table when they'll just say something and it's like, boom, whoa, there it is. Yeah. Or, you know, 
hanging out with some, you know my friend and he's got an eight-year-old daughter and she's playing with her your dolls and then she just says something and you're like wow that was profound right that was beautiful or or i'm watching a movie or listening to music or reading a book or it can be in other words it's wide open that god is capable of communicating true and beautiful and powerful inspired truth to us as human beings in any way god wants to do that and that's genuine inspiration and in that way yes the scriptures are inspired because they are they're, God is capable of communicating to us through that Bible, through those scriptures, in that beautiful way. But he's not limited to that. And this is my problem with there being a canon anyway. Because right. so, so often, because, oh, this is the canon, what the implication is, even if no one says it outwardly, what they are implying is everything God ever wanted to say to humanity, he said it 2,000 years ago, and we're, he's done. Right. We got it right here. It's only the, and it's only this. And like you said, when you actually study the process that we, the, whereby we came across, came about getting this, these 66 books, um, you realize like, well, for a lot of Christians, like you just accept without question that, that, that those unnamed guy, you don't even know who those guys were, but you trust that, that whatever decision that they made, that that was the right decision. Right. Um, <laughs> because that's not, um, I mean, like even when I was researching Jesus Unbound, it was sort of like I noticed how like prior to when there was a canon, before there was some official canon, um, all of these church fathers had their own individual sort of list of what they considered to be scripture or inspired. Right. So some of them would say like, you know, well, for them, it was Matthew, Mark and Luke, but also they liked the Shepherd of Hermas or the Didache. Um, and then they would leave out. You know, they didn't accept Hebrews or Revelation or the, or Jude, right? right? But then another guy, you go and look at another early church father, and he would say, well, for me, it's the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I accept these letters of Paul, but I don't really like, you know, First and Second Peter or whatever. And and guess what? That was okay. Nobody yeah. nobody was like, well, you're wrong. Or, you know, you're not a Christian because you don't have the same books I do. Because, again, before the canonization of Scripture— people were allowed to just tell each other these these are the writings that god has inspired me right? that, that have spoken to me god has spoken to me through these writings right um and not so much the other ones and that's okay it was fine and i i personally i guess that's kind of where i am now like i'm allowing other anything god wants to use to inspire me and speak to me i'm open to that um, it doesn't have to be only these particular books and not other ones. Hmm. I, there was a baseball player named Yogi Berra that our young listeners may not even know who he was, but he he once said, I didn't say all the things I said uh, because <laughs> he had all these Yogi Berra-isms and stuff. Yeah, yeah there's, some, um, there's some great Yogi Berra-isms out there. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and and so you had a, a, a blog I read, and I'm going to get the title wrong, but it's, sorry, Christians, Paul didn't write all the books that he wrote, you know. Uh, That's right. And and so this and I attributed all of this to you in the in the, the our public podcast, but it's become pretty clear. Paul did not write all the books that we attribute to Paul in nope. the Bible, and so explain that and how does that change our view of of Paul's books in the Bible? Right. Yeah. So again, that was another kind of a shock that I had researching Jesus Unbound uh, about the Bible <clears throat> was coming across the fact that yeah, there's. So there's what's called um, pseudepigrapha. So uh, it, it's a 
fancy word, but basically um, Bible scholars um, will identify certain books as, you know, like, so like uh, an example might be the Gospel of Philip, right? So, okay, it says the Gospel of Philip, but we're very sure that Philip, the, the disciple Philip, did not write this because it didn't show up until like the third, late third, fourth century or something, right? Right. So somebody wrote it, somebody else wrote it and put Philip's name on it, right? Something like that. So, um, well, then the shock is that, you know what, there's pseudepigrapha in your New Testament. Because, as you said, um, we are, most New Testament scholars uh, are, are in agreement that Paul did not write what's called the pastoral epistles, that's first and second Timothy and Titus. And right. they know that for many reasons. Um, that it doesn't show up until much later, meaning church fathers prior to that early, early church fathers don't mention those writings. Um, they show up much later. And then those writings are referring to problems that the church didn't have until long after Paul was dead. Um, and the, and plus the style of Greek is extremely different. So uh, more modern much more modern kind of uh, styles of writing. So there's, there's a, there's layers of reasons why um, most New Testament scholars will say, yeah, Paul, the apostle did not write first and second Timothy or Titus. Um, so there are also some other disputed letters of Paul. Um, before I jump into that, let me also just add that the disciple Peter did not write first or second Peter um, right. again, the, for the same reasons. Um so the language is much more modern. It refers to things that uh, theology that came much, much later after Peter, we know, had, was was put to death. Um, and so, again, whoever wrote it put Peter's name on it. But Peter, I mean, the guy's name might have been Peter, but he's not Peter, the fisherman who walked with Jesus. <laughs> not right, and was the a Peter, yeah. Not the Peter, right. So, again, um, yeah, it, you have to then take a step back and then reevaluate some of these letters like, well, okay, so this isn't what Paul said. So who did write it and why? And, and then it's, and then you have to also then ask, what are some of the significant ways that some of these pseudepigrapha writings differ from the writings that we know for a fact were from Paul, right? So Galatians, for example, is not disputed. Um, first Thessalonians, first and second Corinthians, um, Philemon, Romans, um, these are not disputed. So we, we're, you know, Paul wrote those, and so there's there's certain things that Paul, the real Paul, asserts in his letters that we then can compare. And this is, by the way, some of the reasons for rejecting some of the later ones. Like, yeah, this contradicts other things that Paul said in the, the letters we do know he wrote. Um, now, but one of the heartbreakers for me was the realization that a lot of New Testament scholars also don't believe that Paul wrote. Ephesians or Colossians. Mm. And this was a big shock for me. I was really disappointed and a little freaked out, to be honest, by that. Because I'm like, ah, oh, I just love Colossians and Ephesians so much. There's so much beautiful Christology in those writings. And so initially I was kind of like, well, what do I do if Paul didn't write that? But uh, what I did was I kind of went to what I just described a second ago. I was like, okay, but whoever wrote Colossians and Ephesians, I think they were inspired mm -hmm. because uh, whoever that guy was or girl, uh, I don't know who was, but whoever it was, I would say they're inspired because the things the, that they are saying about Christ are these beautiful um, revelations of the, 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 this, the grandeur and, again, the mystery of Christ are all through Colossians and Ephesians. And I, I think, wow, this is really wonderful. 
So you might say, well, why wouldn't I apply the same thing to, let's say, First and Second Timothy or Titus, or pastoral epistles? Um, I would say, well, because I don't see a lot of Christ in those letters, right? I don't see the same level of uh, sort of like falling in love with this beautiful person of Jesus in those letters. In those letters, what I see is a lot of uh, talk about authority and control. Um, it has these three things that I always watch out for that are like my my red flags, which are fear and shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that to me is moving way, way, way uh, off of the Jesus story here. Uh, this to me sounds like someone uh, trying to exert their power uh, and manipulate other people and control them. And so, yeah, for those reasons, I'm, I'm not going to hold them as in as much regard as I do some of the other ones. Um, so anyway, I think knowing that should be helpful and it can be scary to some people, I guess. But um, again, it's not a flat Bible. We, we don't treat every book equally the same. We need to approach some of the, even some of the New Testament writings um, with that same sort of lens of Christ. And mm-hmm. for me, like the pastoral epistles in, in many ways fail that test in some ways. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of the, let's, let's organize the church kind of a thing. Yeah. And, and some of those and, <laughs> Uh, I, I always got to say, many people who go to our Christian churches are more Paulians today than they are Christians anyway, oh, yeah. and, and we need yeah. to get be back to Christ center. But again, learning, learning how the canon came together, learning that Paul didn't write some of those books, or whatever, all that does is just tells me we get to hold it loosely. It's like the first time yeah. I realized there were people who loved God that didn't believe pre-trib rapture, like my church growing right. up did, right. and it's like. Oh, wow. What else have I not been told? What else? <laughs> and, and so I don't think we have to throw it out. I, I don't believe there's kind of a common narrative out there that some guy, you know, put the Bible together. To, and, and that's not true either. That, no. you know, it, it, it came together in a whole bunch of different facets, like you said, from a whole bunch of different people putting their canons forth. So it just it just again lets us hold it humbly and loosely and together say, what does this mean? to yeah. us as a community together. And, yeah. and I think it's, I think it makes it, makes it simple for simpler for us to be able to hold it loosely together. Yeah, I think so. Well, Keith is giving us a lot of insight on uh, how to look at the Bible in deconstruction. Let me interrupt for just a moment and invite you to join me, Unconventional Pastor Paul, with our monthly Unconventional Conversations. We take a look at one of the nine issues of deconstruction that I have on my website. And this month, September 18th on Sunday night, we will talk about rethinking the divine, God and the Trinity, who are they and who am I? The info's on the website at pastor-paul.com. We only ask you sign up for a $5.99 subscription to get the link and you can cancel it at the end of the month or say, these are great conversations. I want to keep helping keep all of this going by staying as a subscriber. That's unconventional conversations with me, unconventional Pastor Paul. Now, Back to our conversation with Keith Giles on this edition and part two of our conversation on the Post Evangelical Podcast. Yeah, and, and and so the other thing always, and sorry, my phone is ringing in the background, um, is is in the the compilation of the canon. We got rid of some books that yeah. our Catholic friends would say are scripture. We would say are not. Some of those may have even been in the Bible that Jesus had in in his day. Um, And you started writing some about the Gospel of Thomas, which is one of these 
disputed books, perhaps. What what have you found in that? And and how do you hold a book like the Gospel of Thomas in comparison to the, the Protestant canon books that we have? Right. Yeah. And so I, I'm really at the, just at the beginning stages myself of diving into Thomas. I am, I am writing this series called The Inner Circle over on my, my blog. Um, and every week I'm posting a new article about some of the things of Jesus from that. But but what I have, um, <clears throat> here's what I find really compelling about Thomas. Um, first of all, that- Was it written by Thomas, by the way, do you think? You know, I don't know. Okay. I, I think right. that's, a, again, for me, that is sort of like neither here nor there. The same way, yeah, like, you know, right. did, did Paul the Apostle write a piece of Colossians? I don't really care. I'm more concerned about what's, what does it say? What, what, what is it communicating? And is that something that I feel like is in line with what Jesus was about, right? And, so, and um, it is, and again, to, to jump in, it, it is somewhat miraculously preserved. It's been handed down to us, so worth taking note yeah, of again, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because um, where to begin? <laughs> so but so here are my reasons for, for giving Thomas a little bit more credibility than some of the other um, sort of pseudepigrapha or other apocryphal writings that are out there, because there's lots of them, right? Mm-hmm. The reason why I think Thomas I take a little more seriously is number one, um, it's not it's not a gospel in the ways that we have like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are stories. There's a narrative, right? It's telling you Jesus was born over here and he grew up over there and then this happened and then then that happened and then he went over here and then he had an argument with these the, the Pharisees and then they did this and then he did that and then oh he was arrested and he was crucified he rose from the dead uh, he's coming back again and you know like it so those are typically the things that the, if someone wrote a gospel in the first century or you know that that's the kind of thing they would include they're telling you a story about the person Jesus um, Thomas doesn't do that. Thomas is literally a saying, a collection of the sayings of Jesus. Half of them appear in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, that, so they actually do show up in the Gospels that we have in our in our New Testament. The other half of the sayings don't. But here's why this is interesting: is that so? New Testament scholars have always um, this is a very long running, very popular theory that whoever wrote Mark and Matthew and John and Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three synoptic gospels, mm-hmm. um, when they quote Jesus, they all three quote him almost verbatim, exactly the same. And so the, the idea, and they didn't know each other, as far as we know, they were different places at different times. So, um, so the, the theory is there had to be a sayings document and they call that the Q document. And we don't have a copy of it. We don't know what it is, but we would, the theory is that there had to have existed one that prior to writing Mark and Matthew and Luke, somebody wrote down a bunch of the sayings of Jesus and those were available uh, at some level that people could refer to them. So when Mark and Matthew and Luke sit down to tell their story about Jesus and they don't all three to tell the same story, by the way, um, they, they tell their story a different way. That's another right. point, right? We have four versions of the gospel and, no one tried to harmonize them. They're like, oh, I know what Mark said, but I'm going to tell you something else. Okay, go for it, right? But at any rate, there, the, the assumption is there had to be a collection called the, what they call the Q document, a collection of the sayings of Jesus. Now, whether or not Thomas, because it's that's all it is, it's just a collection of the sayings of Jesus, half of them do appear in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. 
So whether or not Thomas is the Q document, that's a, by the way, that's a possibility. The possibility yeah. is that they had, they were using Thomas. It was just a collection of sayings. And maybe at the time it wasn't called Thomas. It was just a collection of sayings that later on somebody called Thomas. Right. But at any rate, um, if it's not the Q document, here's what it is. An example of an early collection of the sayings of Jesus. That's a Q type document. And it did exist. And this, and we've got one. So that's one reason I think to, to look at Thomas slightly different. Okay. Um, the other, the other thing about it that's fascinating is that, um, there's a good, again, many scholars do date Thomas that it, that it showed up around the same time that the gospels in our new Testament were being written. Mm. One of the reasons we think that is not only because the quotes are the same, uh, from Thomas and these other gospels, um, but that, um, the gospel of John, which is the, the latest gospel that shows up, right? It's the, it's the final one. That's the latest one. And, and, you know, that's written, right. um, there's really good reason to believe that whoever wrote the gospel of John was responding to and aware of the gospel of Thomas, because there are some specific things the gospel of John says that are responding to that are like answering some things that are said in Thomas. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it would be an odd coincidence that John, the writer of John would be writing these kinds of things seemingly in re in reaction to a gospel of Thomas that he'd never read. You know what I'm saying? That seems odd. So there's another reason. And, um, and so this is all another reason why I think I, I, I'm just giving, I think there's a reason to at least take Thomas a little more seriously than some of the other writings that would, that are out there is that all the reasons that people want that typically they throw out to discredit Thomas, right? They'll say things like, well, Thomas includes Jesus sayings that don't appear in the other gospels. Guess what? So does the Gospel of John. Right. John right. is almost 99.9% .9 brand new stuff, Jesus saying stuff he never says in the other three Gospels, right? But no one rejects John for that. In fact, they, everybody's favorite Gospel is John. What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> we, no problem if John does it. We, just, we don't like if Thomas does it, right? So, well, okay, but so you can't have it both ways. Um, and the other thing is, well, oh, it was written later than the other ones. Yeah, but it was written at least around the time of John. And for the same reason, you don't reject John because it came so late. Why do you reject Thomas because it comes so late? So, again, I just feel like uh, all the typical objections to Thomas don't hold water if you really look at it objectively and compare it to everything else, you know, all the other early Gospels that we have. Um, and then finally, sorry, this is a long answer to your question, but finally. It's, it's an important one, though, so thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing that I, I mean, I'll be honest, the first time I read Thomas, I read it probably like six or seven years ago, just out of curiosity, I read through it and I just thought, this is the stupidest thing I've ever read. It's so dumb. It doesn't make any sense. It's just gobbledygook, right? Because uh, it didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. I just read the sayings. I'm just reading the sayings. I'm like, what? Jesus, why would Jesus say that? That's just dumb, right? So I just dismissed it. Well, what changed my mind, what to, to, to go back and take a second look at Thomas, excuse me, was I, I read this book where the author was looking at Thomas and what he said was, and near the beginning of the book, he says, the way to understand Thomas is to, is to read Thomas. Again, talking about reading through filters, right? You have to read Thomas through the filter that everything Jesus is saying in the, in the sayings of, G, uh, of Thomas um, are through the lens of pointing out the illusion of separation between us and God and between mm -hmm. us and one another. 
And at first I thought, well, okay, maybe. But then he pointed out in pretty convincing fashion, well, just one after the other, that, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. And so once I saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh, wow, that's cool. So now uh, now I'm reading it through again the second time, and I'm like, I'm seeing it now. I can see it. Oh, whoa, there it is. There it is. There it is again. And, and the thing about, I should say, about this, this sort of um, this lens of Jesus and Thomas, all, that all the sayings are saying that, there is that we're not separated from God and we're not separated from one another. This is not a unique teaching to Thomas. It's in the Gospels. It's in John. It's in uh, Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians and Hebrews and and First John. Like so, it's not a unique sort of a teaching. It's a teaching that, um, one way or the other, found its way into the early New Testament writings and the early Christian Church. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, for all those reasons, I think Thomas is at least worth investigating. There's something there. Um, now, I, I, I'll say people ask, well, Keith, are you? Do you think that that these sayings in Thomas, like, do you think Jesus of Nazareth really said all these things? The answer for I give is I don't know, um, but he said at least half of them, <laughs> and um, because because at least they show up in the other writings, right? Yep. So yep. to me, it's, it, it, I'm not, it, I don't feel like it's, it's, I'm not, it's not dangerous for us to look into it. Right. If, if, if these are the things that, it, that Jesus is saying, um, and if all of the sayings are pointing us to this truth that is affirmed in other places in the new Testament by Jesus and by Paul and by other apostles, it's worth looking into. And, and I've just been super excited that as I've been reading through it and seeing these things, it's pretty Pretty inspiring stuff to me. It's pretty exciting. Wow. Well, we'll be excited to follow you on that journey. And uh, and again, I, I think all of this is important because it is, uh, I, I was looking at your your statement from the, the earlier podcast, the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. Yeah. And, and so holding these things loosely, learning, wrestling with them together, I think is, is where we find God. Um, and as people are asking, you know, do I get to deconstruct my faith? Do I get to think about these things? I think the message people like you are bringing really well is like, yeah, actually, you're going to find a more true version of relationship with God through this journey. And that's, that's what I love about, uh, about your stuff and about I read from you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, so good, good stuff. Keith, tell people again, where they can find you. Yeah. So yeah, you can follow my blog, keithgiles.com. Uh, that's my Patheos blog. And, um, I'm also a co-host of Second Cup with Keith podcast. It's a solo podcast I do. I co-host Heretic Happy Hour podcast and with a bunch of other people. And I co-host something called Apostates Anonymous with my friend Matthew DeStefano. Um, It's a lot of fun. And uh, my new book, Solo Mysterium, uh, there there it is right there. Right, comes out. uh, Here it is. Comes out June 28th. Uh, It's all about celebrating the beautiful um, uncertainty of everything. And uh, excited to share that with everybody. And yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You know, follow me over there on social media. I'm happy to interact. Yeah. And anybody who trusts my input, it's great stuff. I highly recommend you check out Keith's materials, particularly if you're in a deconstructing phase and read his stuff on Romans. And I don't know, it's just been really impactful to me. So thank you for what you do. It's been very helpful in our journey at our household. So keep up the great work. Thank you, Paul. God bless, man. 
Hey, don't forget to check out our website for more resources for pursuing emotional and spiritual well-being. Take a moment, check it out at pastor-paul.com. And again, would you consider giving as little as $5.99 a month to help? Whether you can or not, my love goes out to you today and my message that God is not mad at you. We'll see you next time when we're together on the Post-Evangelical Podcast.